You know, every day I lay there in bed, maybe six o'clock or sometimes earlier than that, and my dog will start making, fussing around and fussing around. I have to decide, am I going to get up or do I boot my wife and make her get up? (laughs) Uh, I choose not to boot my wife out of bed. (laughs) I like eating. She's a great cook. And she's been a great counselor and a great person. So uh, those some, sometimes those choices that you make, uh, they're for good. And sometimes you make some bad choices. And then you wish you uh, had done something different. But it's like they say, spilt milk is gone. <laughs> you don't get it back. But every day, you know, we have to decide when we get up in the morning what we're going to do. We're uh, going to smile, or we're going to get upset, we're not going to get out of bed. And I can understand when, you know, when it's 10 degrees or 9 degrees outside, and uh, the heating pads, I mean, the electric blanket's on, and it's nice and cozy, and the house is 46 degrees. I don't want to get out of bed either. (laughs) But I have to. I have to make that choice. Same thing comes with uh, scripture that says, seek God first. Sometimes it's easier to find yourself doing anything but seeking God first. But that's not what God wants. He wants us to put Him first, foremost in our life. And we have to, every day, we have to make good decisions. And sometimes we make bad decisions. That choice is always there. Something that we have to decide what I'm going to do this morning or this day. Sometimes they're right and sometimes they're wrong. But it's a fact of life that we have to make these decisions of what we're going to do and how we're going to do it. You know when that started? Well, it started the day we were born, didn't it? We could, as babies, we were hungry. We um, had body uh, things we had to take care of. And uh, we could just let everybody know we were just not happy. But originally, all this started way long time ago. And God doesn't want us to make bad decisions. He wants us to make good decisions. Turn to Proverbs chapter 8 for the first scripture. Proverbs chapter 8. Because God wants something more from us than to uh, complain because we didn't get something to eat or it's cold or it's the dog needs out and I don't want to let him out. uh, Maybe I need coffee or maybe I don't want coffee or uh, maybe I need to go to work and I don't want to. Proverbs chapter 8 verse 32. Now therefore, listen to me, my children, God says. Listen to me. For blessed are those who keep my ways. So the first thing God is saying to us, I'm going to bless you if you do what I want you to do. My ways. And he gives us a whole book that gives us everything that we need to learn by. It's all right here. We just have to make that right decision. Hear instructions and be wise. 
and do not disdain it. Sometimes we're given good instructions, but we sit out there and say, well, I don't know whether that's good for me or not. Well, that's not a good instruction. That's not what I want to do. But that's not God's thing. He says in verse 34, Blessed is the man who listens to me. Well, sometimes we have to make that decision. Are we going to listen to God? How do we listen to God? How do you listen to God every day? You take your Bible, you open it up, and you begin to read. And God will talk to you. You ask Him in prayer, Hey, Father, there's things I'm short sighted on. Can you open my understanding today to see what it is you want me to listen to you from? It says, watching daily at my gates. You've got to go to God every day. For who, whoever finds me finds life. And that is interesting to think of. If we seek God... He says, you are going to find life. Not physical life. He's not talking about this temporary dwelling we're in right now. But he's saying about life. When we're we're changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, we will begin to have real life. He says, if we're looking for him, we're at his gates daily, we're going to find life. And abstain and obtain, rather, favor from God. If we're looking for it, we're going to get His favor. But he who sins against me wrongs his own soul. So when we go contrary to God, and we know what sin is, 1 John 3, 4, sin is the transgression of going contrary to God's way of life. And he says, if we sin, we're hurting ourselves. We're not hurting God. Maybe we are because He wants everyone to be a part of His family. But we're really hurting ourselves when we sin. Whatever it is. All those who hate me love death. And that's an interesting phrase. And I'm reading this out of the New King James because I thought it helped a little better there. So if we hate God. If we find problems with God, then we're saying we love death. This life is all that we'll have. We won't really have real life. Well, the problem with mankind began a long time ago. Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. God gives all of us a choice. He says, Christ had the same choice as you had. He said, none of us have been tempted any more than Christ was tempted. He was tempted in every possible way, but he always looked to God. So here in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, and here we find Adam and Eve in the garden. God had already spoke to them. They already talked to them, already gave them things to do and things they couldn't do. And now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which God had made. And he said to the woman, now here's an interesting thing. God has talked to them. 
Eve knew God by this time, whether it was one day or a week or a month or whatever, maybe one day. So here this snake speaks, or serpent, speaks to Eve. And he said to the woman, Hey, did God say you couldn't eat of everything in the garden? I mean, he posed a question to her. How often does that happen to us every day? Or weekly or monthly or whatever. That somehow, someplace, someone will come up and say to you, uh, Is that really said that? Is that what was said? Uh, here he said to the woman, Has God said you shall not eat of every uh, tree in the garden? Well, she already knew the answer. Why was she listening to it? But she did. She had to make a choice right there. Am I going to listen to God, or am I going to listen to somebody else, or something else, or whatever it is, am I going to be swayed the wrong direction? The woman made the mad mistake. She made the wrong choice. Her choice was... The woman said to the serpent, she jumped in there right away. Hey, I can tell you the answer to that. I already know. We can eat of of the fruit of the garden, of the trees of the garden. We can do that. We can do it. But the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Um, do we read any place that God says you can't even touch it? Well, we're talking about sin here too. We don't want to touch sin. We don't want to get close to sin. And sometimes that becomes a problem, isn't it? We, we know what sin is. It's going contrary to everything God has told us. So do we want to get as close to it well, I'm going to get right to it and not touch it. I remember my son, my oldest son, when he was probably four, maybe five, somewhere in there. We told him that there are things that he could do on Sabbath, you know, and you can't run around and crawl, walk across the tables or run into people or just horse around during service. And I said, uh, you, you want to stay away from the lectern because they got flowers and stuff up there. And I can remember him coming as close as he could and put his hands back behind him, you know, you want to touch it. Is that what we do in sin? Do we try to get so close to it? Maybe I didn't touch it. Maybe I'm not going to be there. But we want to get that close to it. And so we're told, even if we think these things, we come to that point of sinning, if we think of it. So, she said, we can't even touch it, we can't even get near it. So the serpent said back to, the, to Eve, you shall not die. Oh, wait a minute, what did God say? God said, the day you eat it, you die. And he's talking about a, a God day, a thousand years. We know Adam lived 
not quite a thousand years, and Adam died, and Eve died somewhere in between. So in that first thousand year period, she died, and so did Adam. But here, Satan, he says, oh, but God's hiding something from you. You ain't going to die. Well, but God said you're going to die. For God knows in the day that you eat thereof, your eyes shall be opened and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Now you come to that point that you can determine in your own mind, um, is this good or is this bad? Am I going to do this today or am I going to do this today? He said, you're going to to see that there's choices that you can make. They would have these choices, but God wanted to instruct them first, just like he does the church. He wants to instruct the people on the way to make the right decisions. But if we don't take the time to let God teach us, then we're going to be like Eve and make the wrong decisions. And so what did she do? When the woman saw the tree was good for food, how did she see that the tree was good for food? I have to ask that question. Did she see somebody else eating it? Maybe Satan got something off of it. He had already condemned. He condemned himself when he went contrary to God. When he walked and took out a third of the angels... So he's already been condemned. He already thought he's better than God anyway. But she said she saw that it was good for food. I mean, there had to be something going on here that we're not told that says, that's good to eat. So she saw that it was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, so it must have been something that was good to look at. It didn't look rotten or bad. And it it enticed her to make the wrong decision. The decision was, follow God. The wrong decision was to die. Because she already knew that. If she ate the fruit, she's going to die. God already told her that. That's going to happen. So she saw it was pleasant to the eyes. A tree to be desired to make one wise. How do you... Um, maybe because he said you will be as God. You'll be wise like God. You'll know what to do and what not to do. You won't need anybody to, to tell you what's right or wrong. You won't need God at all anymore because you'll be just as good as he is. Um, isn't that what happened? How many years, millions of years, thousands of years, whatever it was, when Hillel walked across that sea of glass, saw himself and said, Man, you are great. Look how beautiful you are. He made the wrong decisions. So here, she says, she looked at the fruit and saw that it was something to make you wise. How wise are we? It's not wisdom to go contrary to God. To make you wise. And she took the fruit thereof and did eat. Of course, her manly husband, you know, this is the way I look at it. Maybe it's not what happened, but I look at it as, here's the husband, here's Adam. Go ahead, baby, eat that thing. She ate it. He comes watching her and says, 
All right, you're the guinea pig. What come you didn't buy? <laughs> it must be okay. It must be all right. So she gave him. And he did eat. I mean, hey, my wife ate it. And she's still alive. I guess I'm going to eat it and still be alive. And it says their eyes were, uh, their eyes of them both were open and they knew that they were naked. You see, they didn't have a problem before that, did they? They were fine. But when they transgressed the laws of God, they were no longer fine. Now they became a problem in their, in their life. Sometimes when we make the wrong decisions, we know what's right, we know where we should go, we make the wrong decision, the bottom line is we're not trusting God. They didn't trust God. And when we know the truth and we refrain from the truth, then we're taking it a step beyond trusting God. Because God tells us He will give us all the things that we need. Christ, when He was here, said, if you come and ask in My name, God's going to give you the things you need. He promises that. But it's just a matter of trust then, isn't it? It's a matter of, do I trust that God will do that? Do I trust God will take care of everything or not? Psalm 119, 173. Psalm 119, 173. Here David speaking says, Let your hands help me. He understood. I need God every day. If I'm going to make the right decisions, I need God's help. It says, Let your hands help me, for I have chosen your precepts. He said, I choose... Your way of life, your precepts, your law, the statutes, and the judgments. Everything that you tell me, I trust in you for that. David asked God for that help. That's why we, every morning, should say, I don't know what's coming down, Father, this day. I might make the wrong decisions. I might go the wrong, make the wrong step. I might find myself having somebody telling me, question God's Word. And David said, I need your help. I need your understanding. I need it every day. I get out of bed. I need your help. So David consistently asked God for his help. Solomon, the same way. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 29. Proverbs chapter 1, 29. Here's Solomon speaking, or God actually speaking through Solomon to us. For they, uh, for that they hate, hate knowledge. He said, he looked out there and said, the people that hate knowledge, people that do not want to be instructed in the right way of life, those that hate knowledge, and did not choose to fear, fear the eternal. So here are people going downhill because they chose not to get knowledge, the right knowledge, because they hate the right knowledge, and they choose not to fear God. We have a whole series of sermons on the fear of God. Tremendous to go back. You know, we have all these. we got uh, way over a thousand, uh, eleven 
1,200, I'm sorry, we're up in 1,200 sermons now that we have online. Maybe not all of them online, but we can get them. So do we fear God? Have we listened to uh, this instruction or the knowledge? Go to Isaiah 56, verse 4. Trusting God. Putting our hope and our trust in what God teaches us. Because sometimes we don't want to let that happen to us. Isaiah 54, verse... Isaiah 56, verse 4. For thus says the Eternal unto the eunuch that keeps my Sabbaths, and chooses the things that please me, and take hold on my covenant. So here he's saying to us that we should be spiritual eunuchs, trusting God, choosing the things that please God. So every day we have to make that choice. Is what I'm going to do please God? Or is God going to turn his back on me? Or am I turning my back on God? Because God not really, he doesn't really want to turn his back on us, but do we turn our back on God? Do we turn it and make the wrong decisions? You know, God says he doesn't tempt anybody. But he does let Satan have at us. We can see that with Job. Remember, God called uh, Satan in. or They had a holy day, say. And here all the, all the angels and all the sons of God came together and God knew that Job had a difficulty. Job didn't know he had a problem. God knew he had a problem. And so what did he do? Did he tempt him? No. He just said to Satan, Do you see my servant? Look at my servant Job. You know? And of course, you know what Satan did. He took on Job to the greatest degree. But he didn't know Job. So God's not going to tempt us. But he will allow Satan to throw things at us. And a lot of times, we allow those things to come in their own minds, don't we? We choose to go that direction. We choose the wrong direction. We choose to see the tree and say, Oh, but that looks so good. That has to be right. There is a way that seems right to a person. But the end is death. Well, that's in Proverbs. So we have to make a decision, just like other people. Back in the garden, what happened? We make the wrong decisions, and what do we do? First thing we do is we justify ourselves, don't we? <laughs> hey. It's okay. Eve did. Ah, that's got to be okay. Yeah, I make I make the wrong decision, but that's okay. Verse nine of Genesis chapter three. And God called Adam and said to him, "Where are you? Why are you hiding from me? Why are you trying to hide from me? Where are you, Adam?" Of course, Adam said, I heard your voice in the garden. He's justifying himself. That's what he's going to do. I'm really a good guy. I'm going to justify myself here. 
And I was afraid because I was naked. Why were you afraid? I could see Christ speaking to Adam. Why are you afraid of me? What are you afraid of? Have I beat you? You know, you take a dog that's been beaten a lot, and you come up here and you go, come here. And that dog cowers down, his ears, ears, ears will flop down. He just all, you know, shake because you've been beating on him. Had God beaten Adam? Has he been beating on anybody? Why are you afraid? He said, because I was naked. And I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? I mean, where did you get this knowledge from? I didn't come from me. I'm God. I created you. I know every little molecule in your body, every inch of your body. I know everything about you. So why are you afraid? Because you were naked? And I hid myself. And he said, God said to him, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded that you should not eat? God already knew what he did. God already understood it. And what did Adam do? The first thing Adam did was say, Well, God, you know, I'm really not a bad guy. You know, you gave me all these things, and you gave me this woman. So it's not my fault, God. You created this woman, and you gave her to me. So, in reality... I'm pretty good. I'm pretty righteous. It's your fault, God. You gave me the woman. And it's her fault because she ate it and she didn't die because you said she's going to die. So it's still your fault and her fault. And I just followed the example. That's what I did. And, of course, Eve, you know, she says, it ain't my fault, I'm okay. It's that serpent that you created and gave him a voice. So, what happens is, we have self-justification. When we make mistakes, we choose the wrong way to go, and right away, we're going to try to justify ourselves and say, I'm really a good guy. But self-justification is a product of pride. I am really not as bad as you might think I am. So it's a matter of pride. We want to appear righteous. We want to appear good. We don't want people to look down on us. And we don't want to expose ourselves that we've made a mistake. So, uh, pride is a big problem in self-righteousness. Pride stands out. I am God's called ones. You know, I read that in Revelation, chapter 5. We're going to be kings and priests. We're part of the first fruits. I'm pretty good. Or, the other side, I was talking with George the other day, and there's the other side of the coin where it is, I'm always rotten, I'm bad. It's negative pride, isn't it? I'm proud that I'm poor. I'm proud that I'm ugly. I'm proud that I, um, that I have the worst job or the worst house or car or whatever. 
it becomes negative pride. It's still pride, and it's still self-righteousness, and self-justification. Romans chapter 10, Paul speaking to the brethren there in Rome. Romans chapter 10, verse 1. Brethren, Paul is speaking, and this is Paul's attitude. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Paul's heart was for God. He looked out there, and I think here in the church, my heart is that we all become part of the family of God. I... I, would like that. I would love that, that we'd be such a close-knit family. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. How many in the church have the zeal? I mean, they keep the Sabbath, they, they, keep, they eat the right foods, they, they say the right things, but they're lacking in knowledge. What Paul says... They have this burning desire to be a part of the family of God. But it's not according to knowledge because they only go by somebody else what somebody else tells them. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. We don't realize that we're not as righteous as what we might think. There are things we can do, things we don't do. We don't, all the time, submit to God's righteousness. He's righteous. It is His desire. And so what do we do? We make excuses. I made the wrong choice, but... I'm going to make an excuse. Instead of going to God and finding out what it is I need to do right, no, I'm going to excuse myself. I'm going to find what the problem is, and it's not my fault. You know, that's what Eve did. That's what Adam did. It wasn't my fault. They make an excuse. I hid myself because um, I was naked, and I was afraid of you. Make an excuse for making the wrong choice instead of getting down and saying, I, I did it. I made the wrong mistake. I, I, I sinned. Please forgive me. No, we're going to make an excuse. Proverbs chapter 20. Proverbs 20, verse 6. Proverbs 26. 20, verse 6. Most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness. And that, hey, look how good I am. I did it the best I could. I did it. Proclaim my own goodness. But a faithful man, who can find? Who can find a faithful person that said, I sinned. I made the mistake. I come up short of the mark. How can I change? How can I make the right decisions? No, it's hard. An excuse that we make is, I did the best I could. Uh, Maybe you didn't. Maybe you could do a little better. No, I did the best I could. Proverbs 21, verse 2. 
Every way of a man is right in his own eyes. Every way of a person is right in his own eyes. But the Lord ponders the heart. You know, where in Jeremiah 17:9 says, The heart is deceitful above everything and desperately wicked. But I did the best I could. But God says in verse 10 in Jeremiah, I look at the heart. I look at the attitude. I look at your way of life. So the first excuse we would do is, I did the best I could. We try to justify the mistakes. I did the best I could. Or, another excuse is, I'm not perfect. You know, I'm a human being. I'm not perfect. I fall short of the mark every day. I'm just not that perfect. Proverbs 16 here. God talking to us through Solomon, Proverbs 6, chapter 16, verse 2. All the ways of men are clean in his own eyes. Everything I do, I'm perfect. I did it the best I could. You know, I don't make those mistakes. It's all honest. But the Lord weighs the Spirit. He looks at the Spirit, the attitude of that person when he made that mistake. I'm justifying myself because it was a wrong choice, but, but you know, I did the best I could and I'm not perfect, so I can make those mistakes. Or else maybe another excuse is, it is easy to say, it's his fault, it's her fault, it's my boss's fault, it's the dog's fault, it's the car's fault. It's somebody else's fault. You know, I've said that a lot of times. It's the car's fault. Of course, if I'd have taken care of the car and fixed the tire, I wouldn't have had a flat tire. If I'd have had good tires on her, if I put oil in the car, I wouldn't have blown the engine. Or, you know, these are things that have happened in times past. Uh, or I wouldn't have been stuck for 16, 17 hours with a load of beans on the truck if I would have just thought a little bit farther ahead. But it wasn't my fault. That was the person that went in front of me. If somebody else did them, did it, not me, I didn't do that. It's not my fault. It's your fault. So we justify our actions by blaming somebody else. We can make the wrong decisions. It's self-justification. Instead of going to God and saying, teach me, show me. And we, and I, and this is something that's really, I've been eyewitness to for 50 years maybe, where people in the church don't like what's going on, and instead of saying, sitting down with God and saying, um, am I at fault? Did I do it? Or what have I done? When the church fell apart, one place I went to, uh, it was Tkach's fault. It was... Uh, this other minister's fault. Uh, one person came to me and said, uh, we, we're eating uh, and keeping the wrong days. Well, that's because the minister didn't tell me which day I was supposed to keep. So I have a, a money-making project on Passover, and I'm going there because it's the minister's fault. Is it? Well, maybe he didn't seek knowledge. 
But he made the wrong decision. And it's sad. And I've seen that many times. People walk away because I find that somebody else led me down the wrong path. Satan, how come you're around here leading me down the wrong way? Well, how come I'm listening to you? <laughs> how come I'm not finding the right way to go? So it's easy to say, you're the problem. I'm not that way. I am perfect. So we can justify our actions with excuses. James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Here God speaking to us through, through the Apostle James. He said, let no one, verse 13, let no one say when he's tempted, I am tempted by God. God says he don't tempt anybody. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. God knows what condition we are. God knows we're physical, flesh and blood people. He knows that we have pulls, and he knows our thoughts, and he knows our actions and our capabilities. And He's not going to tempt have you tempted in any, any more than you possibly can stand. He won't allow it. But each one is tempted, James tells us. Each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires, the things that I want to do. I might want to uh, go to the movie instead of going to Bible study. I might want to uh, eat the wrong foods because it looks so good. And who's running? Anyway, nobody's watching me anyway. You know, there's, it's just that way. We're drawn away by what we want. What I want to do, if it's not what God wants to do, it doesn't make any difference. It's what I want to do. And so we're tempted when we do the things we want to do and enticed. And then, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. We're talking eternal death, the lake of fire, if you want. So God's not going to tempt you. Uh, he won't allow you to be tempted more than He knows how much you could handle. We know... Job went through an awful lot, but God already knew ahead of time how strong in faith and trust that Job had. So he knew what Job could go through, but he had to get a point across. Because Job justified himself all through the book of Job. It was kind of a back and forth deal with his three friends. They said, you're doing wrong, and he says, I'm doing right, you know. I can justify everything I've done. I can justify all my actions. God knew that there was a point that he had to come to to find out, you make a mistake, Job. You really don't know what you're doing. So we like to blame other people. We like to find fault. It's not my fault. We blame other people. In Exodus, we just went over this, what? A week or two ago, where 
Sarah went covered Exodus chapter 32, talking about Aaron blaming the people. Because here you remember, Moses was up on the mountain for 40 days, and they were down here in no leadership. Aaron was the leader. Apparently they had no real leadership. And the people came to him and said, this is a choice that he had to make. He knew better. He'd been right there. Every time they talked to Pharaoh, he was there. Every time. So he knew what he was supposed to do and what he wasn't to do. And so what did he do? He uh, said, the people made me do this. How did they make him do it? Did they threaten to kill him? No. Here's a case where Aaron said to Moses, it's not my fault. It's the people's fault. They did it. Blame them. But you were in charge. It was your choice, your decision to do that. Another instance where a person makes the wrong decision and blames somebody else. And that's in 1 Samuel 13, 11 and 12. Here's a case where Saul, the, uh, who was the king of Israel, got tired of waiting for Samuel to come. They were getting ready to go to battle. They knew they needed, they needed a sacrifice. They needed all these things done. It was Samuel's job. And Saul made the wrong decision, the wrong choice. He made the sacrifice and then turned around and, and blamed the people. And blamed Saul. I blamed Samuel because he didn't get there quick enough. Here's a case where God purposely kept Samuel back to see what Saul would do. King of Israel had the authority, had all the power, made the wrong choice. It's not my fault, he said. It's your fault because you didn't come when you were supposed to be here. You know, he finds it. He makes a little bit of a accusation. It's your fault. You're not doing your job. There's another instance that King Saul makes the wrong and blames somebody else. But in his thoughts, you know, if you read through the whole next sequence, in his thoughts, he thought reality is that it's going to bring good anyway because here's a case where King Saul was told to go out there and take out all the Amalekites. Every one of them. Take out all their goods, everything that belonged to them, destroy everything, bring nothing back. But he brought King Agag back. And the people, he said, brought the sheep and the goats and the gold and stuff. Because, you know, what he said to, to Samuel... Well, we can sacrifice this to God. This is all to the good for sacrificing to God. 
So it was okay. I justified my mistakes. Besides, it was the people's fault anyway. But down in 1 Samuel 15, verse 22. Well, let's go back up verse 19. In verse 19, Wherefore did you not obey the voice of God? What Samuel said to Saul. Why is it that you didn't listen to what God had to say? In verse 20, And Saul said, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. Well, we know he didn't, because we know the story. He brought, he brought King Agag back. Verse 21. But the people, you see, it's not my fault. I'm going to justify my actions. It's the people that did all this. The people did it. Verse 22. And Samuel said, Has the Lord as great a delight in burnt offerings? and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Eternal. So you justified your actions to sacrifice to God. And these people are going to sacrifice all this. And Samuel said to him, what is most important to God? Yeah, you made the wrong decision, and now you justified yourself, but is... As in obeying the voice of the Lord, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. And he goes on in verse 23, something that very important to each one of us. For rebellion, going contrary to God, finding fault with other people, completely disobeying God's word, justifying your actions, pointing the finger at somebody else, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And God says witches should be burned, hung, killed. And stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. So when we get stubborn to the point that we're not going to listen, God says, we're committing idolatry. And what is idolatry? The first four commandments is to love God. Idolatry is to put God second or third or fourth place on the line. It's not listening to doing what God says. So, are we being rebellious? We're like a witch. If we're stubborn and not willing to follow the things that God tells us to do, we are committing idolatry. So we have to ask ourselves every day the decisions we make. Am I going to, if I make a wrong decision, do I justify my actions? Do I find some excuse to say, it's okay. The better part, it's going to be better in the end anyway, because what I've done is going to, you know, it's going to be good for everybody else. Do I find I justify my actions, the things that I do, every day. Proverbs 27, verse 2. Am I going to justify myself to God? Proverbs 27, verse 2. Let another man praise you. You let others... If you do right, 
if you're out there putting your heart into doing it God's way. You know, Paul went through all those beatings and shipwreck and hatred and finally killed. Stephen obeyed God and told the people and they stoned him to death. Christ never sinned and they nailed him. They first beat him practically to death. And they nailed him to a stake, pierced his side, let his blood come out. Never did he justify his actions. He always said, I do not my will, but the will of the Father. I do what God tells me to do. So here he says, let another give you praise, not your own mouth, a stranger, and not your own lips. So we shouldn't go around saying, I did okay. I'm, I'm the greatest. I'm the best out here. I can do all these things great. And I'm talking spiritually. Talking. You know, there are times that we have great talents. And it's okay that someone comes up and says, you're great in the job you're doing. It's okay. Yeah, I, I do the best I can. You know, I justify myself. But at least somebody else's. It's not you going up there and saying, you know, I am the best of this position. You're nobody as good as me. And sometimes what we do is when we justify our own actions, but we look at all the other good things we have done. So maybe we've made a mistake and God's come down on us with two feet. And the first thing we have to say is, but look at, it, look at everything else I do right. Well, God already knows. He says, I look at your heart. I know what you're doing. I know how you're acting. I know what you're thinking. So we get an example of a person who says, I may, might not be as bad a person as you might think I am. Let me tell you how good I am. Luke chapter 18. This is an example of someone who says, I do a lot of good things. Luke 18, verse 9. And here, Emmanuel speaks this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despises others. Two men went into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a publican. So here's the upper echelon and the ditch digger, or the cattleman, or um, the guy that's out there shoveling stuff in the wrong place. It's a hard job. So here the Pharisee who is, looks at himself as being pretty good. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus within himself, God, I thank you that I'm not <clears throat> as other men. You see, I'm pretty good. I'm not like other people. <clears throat> an extortioner, unjust, an adulterer, or even as this publican. Oh, wait a minute, he's already put this poor man down, hadn't he? He's, you know, I'm not... I'm not like this publican. He's just dirt, you know. He's the old run-of-the-mill guy. I Here's where he justified himself. He said, this is the good things that I do. Let me tell you about how many good things, God, I do. 
He forgets that God knows his heart, knows what he did, how he lives his life. <clears throat> I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I have, all I possess. You see, basically, I'm pretty good, you know. Look at these good things that I do. God doesn't care what you think. You're only doing what you're supposed to do. You know, Matthew 25, where Christ said, the way you treat everybody else, the way you're treating me. So here he's saying to Christ, uh, I tithe. You know, I fast twice a week and I give tithe everything I have. You know, I help the poor. I do all these things, all these good things. But you don't do it to me. And the publican standing afar off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but smote his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. This is an attitude that God wants. The publican was saying, I'm not as good as everybody else. I need your help. I need to be forgiven. And he wasn't going to justify his actions by saying, I'm pretty good at what I do. It's something to think about. We can see brothers and sisters in Christ. We can see people we work with. We can see the mistakes they make. We can say, basically, I go to church every week. I keep the holy days. I fast. I tithe. I pray. I'm not like these other people that are around me all the time. Are we a publican or are we a Pharisee? Do we make the wrong decisions and then justify that self? It's somebody else's fault. Certainly, I wouldn't do those things. I wouldn't want to be that way. It's something to think about, isn't it? Every day, we're faced with those decisions that we have to make. Every day, there are things that we have to accomplish in our life. We make the wrong choice once in a while. I can remember a number of things, choices I made wrong. I can't blame anybody else. I can't blame my wife for quitting Wellex and going beekeeping. It might at that time seem to be the right decision. It might have been the wrong one. It wasn't my wife's fault. I didn't ask her for counsel. <laughs> That's my fault. I'm the guilty party. When I make a mistake, I can't go to my kids. I can't blame the church. I can't blame God. I've, overall, I have to look out there and say, where's my mind? God already knows ahead of time. So then I have to ask myself, then what is it? What would God want me to do? What does God really expect from me? How far can I go this way or that way? Well, we know... In the garden, God expected Adam not to eat of the tree. And he did. And he didn't say, I made that mistake. Can you forgive me? We got a whole song 
Isaiah 1.36, every verse tells how merciful God is. Every verse ends with how merciful our Father is. Do we understand? Do we comprehend? If I make a mistake, God says, I am merciful. You can't grasp the amount of mercy and forgiveness that I have in me. But we're ready to go out there and take that tree and say it's my wife's fault. It's the minister's fault. It's the boss's fault. It's the car. It's the dog. It's I didn't do that. I wouldn't do those things. Right. Yeah. So what does God want from us? First Kings eighteen twenty one. First Kings eighteen verse twenty one. And Elijah came to the people. You know, he brought all these people. Brought all of Israel over there. Had them bring all the, the false prophets and all the, the priests of Baal and bring them all together into one spot. And Elijah said to the people, How long halt you between two opinions? That's what he's saying to you and to me. How, are we going to, how long are we going to sit up here and halt between two opinions? This way or this way? Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, if I make the wrong decision, it ain't my fault anyway, because it's all going to work out for the better in the end. No. It's not somebody else's fault. How long are we going to halt between two opinions? It's time to stand up and say, I'm going to either do it God's way or not. If God be God, follow Him. And if Baal... And follow him. Which is the right way? We have to sit down and put our nose into God's Word and find out. And he says, prove all things. Hold fast to the truth. Because there's two, two opinions out there. First Peter two verse nine. But you have you are a chosen generation. God says to you and to me, we are specifically chosen, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that should show forth the praise of him that has called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. Don't halt between two opinions God's or Satan's right or wrong, good or bad. God does not want us to justify ourselves. He just doesn't want that. There are ways in which to overcome the temptation to justify yourself, to remember what sin, by remembering what sinners we are and how merciful our God is. Once we come to the point to say, I am human, okay, I'm not God, I'm called to be God, you know, we just read that there in First Peter, we're a special people, but I'm still human, and I still make mistakes, and I can fall short of the mark if I will change, if I will bend and do it God's way. In James 1, verse 13, 
James 1, verse 13. Let no man say, when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot tempt him with evil. We already read that once. God we're not, is not tempting you or me. We are tempted when we are drawn to our own ideas. When we come up short and we don't want to say, I am the guilty party. What God wants from you and from me, and this will be the last scripture, this is what God expects from us as people. And that's in Deuteronomy chapter 30. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 15. Where God's speaking to you, to me, to the church, and to all humanity in reality. I have set before you this day life and good, death and evil. He says, stop every morning, every afternoon, every evening, like David. Prayed three times a day, so did Daniel. Daniel was thrown in a lion's den because he loved God. The decision that he made was to honor God. He says, I set to you every day life and good things or death and evil. It's a decision you have to make. Verse 19. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you or they against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursings. I want you to think about that, God says. You can make the right decisions, or you can make the wrong decisions. You can take and follow the directions and trust God that He's going to give you the things you need when you need them. And I'm quite certain that God would have eventually brought them to the point and they had realized there's so much goodness and this is the problem with the bad stuff. It's death. But he wanted to teach them and bring them to that point where they could understand this. That's what he's doing to us. That's why we have services. That's why we, we study the Bible. Because God wants to bring us to that point to see that He's setting in front of us life and death. To follow His direction, trusting Him, or to take of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil of our own. Make that own decision. We don't want to listen to Him. We don't want to let Him teach us. Life and death. Blessings or cursings. So you got the two. I'm going to bless you if you follow me, but if you don't, you have to expect you're going to have difficulties, a lot of difficulties, more than maybe you want. Therefore, God says to you, to me, to the church, and eventually to mankind, choose life. Make that the choice that both you and your seed may live. He wants us to be a part of His family. He's offered to the church 144,000 individuals to be the bride of Christ. That's life. That's in the ultimate headquarters. That's this communication line. My wife and I 
communicate all the time. Uh, we get up in the morning and we spend an hour or so just talking God's way of life. How we can make changes in our life to be right with God. Or we go over a sermon and try to point out so one can better understand. God says, I want you to choose the right things. You don't have to if you don't want to. But I'm telling you to choose. That you may love the Lord your God and that you may obey His voice. Remember, King Saul was told God would rather you obey His voice than make a physical sacrifice. It was better to obey, to obey His voice, and that you may cleave to Him, stay with God, for He is your life and the length of your days, that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give to them. We also know that He promised us eternal life. He's promised us so many things. He set between, for you and for me, life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The tree of life, eternal life. Or the decision to go the wrong way and eternal death. God gives us a choice. It's what we have to do each day. Do you want to be a part of the family of God? Then the answer is choose life.